Am I bullish that rents are going to go up? Again, do the math. Unless some builder can magically make thousands and thousands of rental units without any government bureaucracy, without any neighbors complaining that you can't do it in my backyard, we're just simply not matching the supply of rentals with the demand. And so us as smart investors, you know, we see the problem and we say, huh, if everybody wants this widget, wouldn't it be a good idea to own some of those widgets and you know, just ride the wave? <laughs> and that's kind of what I'm doing. You are listening to the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show, the podcast dedicated to empowering you to invest for your family's future. Listen in to learn about different strategies successful investors use to live their best lives. Whether you are starting out on your real estate wealth building journey or a seasoned investor looking for the next unfair advantage, this is the show for you. Each conversation will help you be more savvy when it comes to understanding how to leverage real estate to achieve your goals and live an extraordinary life. Your host is none other than seasoned investors and power couple, Jose and Khadija Jafferji, founders of the Savvy Real Estate Group, where we have been helping passive investors grow their wealth and getting them one step closer to financial freedom since 2008. Hey everybody, it's Jose and Khadija Jafarji, and today we are sitting down with our longtime friend and realtor, Michael Dominguez. We have known Michael since probably around 2011 when he helped us buy our very first duplex conversion in Oshawa. I remember he took us around in his Mustang convertible and made it such a memorable and fun buying experience. Believe it or not, we still own that property today after refinancing it twice. And we speak a little bit about it during our conversation with him. Michael just recently released his book called The Armchair Real Estate Millionaire, where he really hones in on the idea of utilizing real estate to achieve your financial freedom. My favorite quote from his book is, real estate should fund your life, not run your life, which is so important to hear when you're just chasing doors and wondering how many you can possibly acquire in the shortest amount of time. Michael embodies what he says and definitely enjoys living life on his terms, using real estate to help fund his freedom. I'm so excited for you to hear this episode because it was just what we needed to hear. And there are so many awesome insights he shares. So here we go with Michael Dominguez. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I have Michael on the show today. Thanks for taking the time to speak to us, Michael. We're really looking forward to chatting with you today. So I'm just going to get started and dive right in. I, I know a little bit about you and Jose has some history with you. Uh, maybe you could tell our viewers, you know, what you're working on right now. What's a day in the life of Michael look like right now? What are you up to? First off, thank you so much for having me on. I'm uh, looking forward to catching up with Jose and, uh, and meeting you as well. So yeah, my name is Michael Dominguez. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm still considered a realtor with Remax Jazz here in the Durham region, but uh, my main focus in 2020-2021 has been the writing of a book that I've just finished, uh, came out in May, called Armchair Real Estate Millionaire. Uh, my wife helped me along the way as well, but we, we wrote the book with the mindset of helping people get that first, second, and third investment properties and and how buying quality properties in quality neighborhoods can make a real significant difference in people's lives. 
And it's not about buying a hundred properties or a thousand properties or, or dealing with the most crappy tenants and the crappy buildings and the crappy neighborhoods and actually helping them, uh, you know, just do something that they can really make a difference in themselves and their, their families' lives. And, and so what, what I'm doing now is sort of telling the message and, uh, you know, enjoying the summer this year too. I'm making this a summer of Michael and, uh, enjoying my backyard, enjoying the pool, enjoying my Corvette and just, just enjoying life. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I know that sounds awesome. Yeah. You covered so much in there that I, I want to get into more details, but you know, take us back when, uh, before you started real estate, what were you up to and, and what kind of motivated you to get into real estate? Yeah. Um, so I, um, you know, just like all of us, I think we had these aspirations of doing better. I was this smarmy kid who, uh, who was, uh, you know, if, if you asked me at 16, you know how you, you ask somebody, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, some people said a fireman or a teacher or whatever. My smart ass comment was I wanted to be a millionaire. And that's what I would always tell people is I wanted to be wealthy. I, that's what I wanted to be. But, you know, in your 20s, you graduate from school, you get a job, you get a girlfriend, you end up having a child, you buy a house, you get sort of stuck into this, maybe you get promoted a couple of times. Before you know it, you're stuck in middle management, making a 1.5% raise increase. And you're really not getting further ahead. So uh, I woke up, I was age 40-ish. And, uh, uh, I really didn't have any wealth of any kind. I was recently divorced and, um, I was in a company called pet value Canada in upper middle management and really with not much wealth to speak of. And I knew I needed to make a change and, uh, I was introduced. We were actually purchasing the house I'm in right now in Whitby, Ontario. And the realtor there who was also a manager sort of said, Hey, you'd be a good realtor. And I thought, Oh boy, whatever. And they, um, you know, they convinced me to at least consider it. And, you know, long story short, I ended up getting my real estate license and, and you know, became self-employed as a realtor. That's, that was kind of the start of my story. And um, what year was that, Michael? When did, when? Uh, 2007, 2008. I actually became a realtor in 08. And but because I worked with a lot of investors and, and franchisees back in my past life, I gravitated right away to the investors. I was talking with my people and I really enjoyed having, uh, having conversations with them and helping them out and, and making a real difference. And honestly, after doing that four or five times with some other people, I was thinking, holy crap, these people aren't very smart and they're doing so well. I should be doing that too. And so I went out, uh, by 2009, I purchased my first investment property and, uh, and then bought a, Bought one investment property every year for 10 years after that. So Wow. So tell us about that first property. I, everybody always wants to know what's the first property. Um, uh, maybe you don't have any horror stories. Maybe all of your experiences oh, yeah. were great. But uh, what was that first property like? Uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, whether it was a single family home and, and sort of what, what that looked like. Yeah. I, uh, my uh, philosophy today is I talk people into purchasing quality single family homes with legal accessory apartments for two unit dwellings and, and quality properties in quality neighborhoods. I did not start that way. My first property I purchased was a sixplex in Coburg 
that needed a lot of work with a horrific tenant profile. And why was that? It was because that's what people told me is what I was supposed to buy. It was an undervalued property. There was a lot of upside. Uh, and if I did a little bit of elbow grease, I could make a real difference. But what they didn't tell me is even if I fixed it up, I would still be getting, for the most part, mediocre tenants for years to come. The second property I bought a year later was a legal two-unit dwelling in one of the worst parts of Oshawa. And again, the tenant profile was horrific. And honestly, it came very close to breaking me. I came very close to saying, yeah, this isn't for me. And if it wasn't for the fact that I was a realtor and I wanted to uh, build wealth by selling properties to other people, I thought the idea of selling my investment properties and saying this is too hard uh, was probably not the best way to go as a realtor. So that's what kept me in. And it wasn't until my third and fourth properties that I uh, started buying quality properties in quality neighborhoods. And I realized, huh, there must be a better way. Absolutely. You know what? We can totally relate to that story because we started the same way. We started buying in Windsor, Ontario, in the roughest neighborhoods. We bought fourplexes when we didn't even have singles. Yeah. And uh, we went through, we, we bought power of sale properties because those were undervalued, undervalued yeah. and uh, came with like drug dealing tenants, all kinds of plumbing problems. And, you know, like, it, you know, the good part about that is they, that kind of gave us a thick skin to deal with all kinds of issues moving forward, you know? Well, good for you that you didn't like... I know a lot of people that stopped investing because of their first couple of bad experiences. You guys realized the upside of real estate, but realized that what you were doing just wasn't for you. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because I feel like a lot of new investors go through this mindset thing where cheap is better. Hey, I'm getting a great deal. And that was exactly where it was for us too, right? Like where else are you going to find? I don't even remember what we were buying these things for back then in Windsor, like this forty thousand dollars, yeah, forty thousand like dollars back in like two thousand nine, right? Seven, eight, nine, when like the market was pretty depressed there. Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, and, and Kadarja, you, you would know as well as I would that this property couldn't even be built for that price today, uh, or in two thousand seven, and so you knew there was a lot of deferred maintenance because the prior owners just basically said. Um, you know, I'm not going to fix it. It's not worth fixing it, right? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting we're talking about all that because, you know, then we all... So so tell us, what, so, so sort of you bought these two, these these couple, you know, in bad areas and bad tenant profiles. So then what happened next? Yeah. Well, actually, if I can give you a a definitive aha moment, what I did was I started to educate myself a lot better. And... um Again, being a realtor, in my mind, I was joining certain investment clubs, not necessarily to learn, but to to find people I could network with and build my build my database. You know, you know, obviously, I was a businessman. I was looking for ways. But what I found was that although I did meet a lot of great people and I made some you know good deals, the education I learned in groups like the Real Estate Investment Network, Rain. And, and certain local investment groups, all of a sudden I started networking with people and educating myself by people that were ahead of me and they taught me the better way. And, you know, I started learning philosophies and I share them in my book as well 
um, where it's the long-term success formula, where I wasn't buying properties in bad neighborhoods just because they were cheap. I was buying quality properties in quality neighborhoods with strong GDP growth, strong population growth, strong, you know, price values are going up as a result of that. And it was, I was using common sense, you know, things like I was using my education and becoming a knowledgeable expert in the real estate sector, and then using that to strategically purchase the properties that I wanted to buy going forward. And had I not got my education back in the day, I likely would have continued to buy those struggling properties just because that's what everyone told me I was supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. that makes complete sense. You know, there's, there's so many people that, like she mentioned, get stuck with buying those cheap properties and not getting educated. Because you know what? Sometimes you people think that real estate investing is just about going and buying a property and filling it with tenants. They think it's as simple as that, but it's really not. And it's the same process we went through. We we joined the rain and we got educated and we uh, started buying in neighborhoods that they recommended and cities that they recommended. So it's a, it's a very uh, similar story. Yeah. it It's not that complicated. And the thing that people don't understand is a lot of the people that come on these podcasts and speak are, you know, again, they have these wonderful stories where they became full-time investors and they bought 30, 50, 100, 500 properties in their portfolio. And they bought in little towns that you've barely ever heard of and certainly never want to visit. And, you know, you hear the podcast and the one hour conversation and at the end you applaud and say, that's really great. But it's not relatable. It's not something that most of us want to duplicate. And as a result, it really doesn't have a lot of meaning. Whereas um, what I'm suggesting is two, three properties can in in an area that's in a in a great neighborhood that will require three to five hours a month in work will essentially, uh, you know, uh, in 10 years will make you a millionaire through real estate. And that's pretty awesome, I think. And that's life-changing money. Yeah, sure. it's, it's a totally different perspective. And you know, what you just said is, is so interesting because that kind of hits home with me. Uh, in this industry, as you get more involved in the real estate community, there sort of seems to be this underlying race, right? Where, oh, how many doors you got? How many doors you got? You know, and and you start to think like, what is the purpose of having doors? Like, yes, it's fine to set goals, right? Like maybe maybe you genuinely want to acquire 50 doors or 100 doors or whatever it is that you're after. But ultimately, what is the purpose of that? Like, is it that you need to have a certain amount of income every month to support your lifestyle? Or is it that you want to quit your job after a certain... Like, what is it that you're after? Or are you just there to sort of talk about how many doors you have? <laughs> And a lot of times that's what it is, is that people are so proud of themselves that they now have blah, 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 number of doors. And I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, uh, I actually recently sold that sixplex. And so my wife and I, we've got 11 legal two-unit dwellings, some of which with joint venturing. And we, uh, we have a joint venture relationship with a nineplex as well. And that's it. And when I turned 50... I had all of these career aspirations and I thought, okay, if I work really hard for the next 20 years or whatever, I can end up with, you know, some wonderful net worth. Like I, I, 
there was a path for me to get 50 to 100 million dollar net worth for sure but then um you know life happens and you start thinking about you're in your early 50s i had a couple of clients who uh who you know even they were younger than me that actually passed away and uh you know just part of human life and you start thinking to yourself say you know is there a real difference in how your lifestyle would change if if you can get to a level of financial freedom where you're earning you and your spouse are earning you know 10 to 15,000 dollars a month in in income and a net worth of 5 to 10 million dollars is that you know is that going to do everything you want to do and that was the decision we we met with some financial advisors and and they were very clear they said you've reached a point now where every dollar you earn going forward is either going to go to taxes to charity or to your heirs you've made enough money and you've got enough money coming in that you don't need to work anymore if you don't want to and so here i am working a flipping sunday open house and working like a crazy person working away and my son's basically just going to be receiving all of that income. It just didn't seem right to me to do that. So I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to take a step back and, and teach others. And that's really where I am right now. Awesome. Yeah. It's nice to be a purpose driven, right. To sort of be, well, to also have the luxury to be able to say that, right. To, to have come to a point where you can actually choose to do what you want and, and, and have that kind of financial freedom. And I, and I guess that's, that's where we're going back to is that, you know, it sounds to me like that was ultimately your, your why you just, you wanted to have financial freedom so that you could do the things that you wanted with your time. Yeah. We're all here for a finite amount of time. We don't have uh, an expiration date stamped anywhere. So we don't know when that's going to be, whether that's in two years or 20 years or more, you know, but you know, we got to enjoy the time we have and do as many you know, I, my, my goal is to do as many one of a kind experiences as I can in the rest of my life. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to experience things. I want to hang out with friends. I want to hang out in my backyard with my, uh, in my pool with my lighted palm tree and drive around in my car and just enjoy life. <laughs> yeah, I know that that actually sounds pretty exciting. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> That's what I'd like to be doing too. <laughs> so, you know, I know that you sort of have these passive investments now. Uh, are you still a practicing realtor? What is what is your sort of day to day or week? Maybe run us through what like a, a week looks like for you. Uh, yeah, I, well, I'm a, I'm an active member of the Doors to Wealth Real Estate Group, and we're a team of realtors in the um, in the Durham region. We also work in the uh, Northumberland area. We head out to Kawartha, which is up towards the Peterborough area. And we even uh, go out towards Quinty, which is Belleville. So, so you know, it's a bit of a, a wider range. I'm not nearly as active on the day-to-day as I used to be, but, uh, but I do the occasional listing. You know, and, and also I, I find myself more as a, as a guide for someone to give them give them their start and you know I have no problem in sort of consulting them along the path as well you know I I ask that they uh that they you know at least for once or twice um you know they purchase a a book or 10 of mine and uh pass them out to their friends and make a referral but uh, beyond that I I'm just I'm trying to help people is really where I'm at right now so get them going awesome I I want to take you back as a realtor, as an investment-focused realtor, 
because that's something I did for a number of years. What do you think was the number one struggle that people or in, uh, newbie investors had to get started? For the investors? Yeah, well, you actually, you almost named it right from the start. By building your power team, that's going to um, reduce your, your challenges immensely. The amount of struggles that people have not having the right people and the right, uh, the right guides along the path, it's so imperative. Um, so having someone who knows what he or she is doing uh, makes all the difference in the world. One thing I, I mentioned in my book is you become the collection of all the knowledge of all of everyone in your power team. And, you know, so if, if I'm working with you, Jose, and you've got all these years of experience, as far as I'm concerned, I now have that experience because I'm hiring you. You, you you're there for me. And, you know, the, the mortgage broker, the lawyer, the, the appraiser, the, you know, whoever's, whoever you're working with, the contractors, you know, you become the collection of all of their skills. And, uh, and that would be the thing you, you, there's no point in doing it alone. Um, you'll, you'll be surprised if you, if you make it to the end of my book and you look at the acknowledgements, I, my wife actually teased me. She says, you've got like three or four pages of acknowledgements. And I said, honestly, that's because I've got a lot of people to thank along the path. It's from clients to service professionals. They were all there for me and I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for, without them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's a good answer. So going back to Jose's question, sort of. Obviously, from 2008 or nine till now, the market has changed significantly. And, you know, you as a realtor and an investor on the sort of the front line, you're, you're well aware of what's going on out there. How do you think that impacts investors who are looking to get into the market now? Like, you know, we, we also were investors back in 2008, 9, 10. It was a completely different world, both in terms of pricing, mortgage qualifications, like a, a host of things. Tell us what, what your opinion is on the market right now and, and what that means for investors. Yeah, um, it may surprise you, people that, that weren't really following the market, but most of what's happened over the last number of years was predictable. Like it's when, when you add in population growth and um, the uh, inability to densify in certain areas, and then the building of the green belt so that we couldn't do urban sprawl. Everything we saw to this point was very predictable. And uh, I, I talk about this to great length in, uh, in one of my early chapters uh, in the book. And what I tell people that are looking to start today, it's not relevant for any market to be looking at what it did five years ago and 10 years ago and say, well, just because the I'll use New York City as an example. New York City has been one of the most, is the greatest success story in the United States in terms of property values and growth. I would be very nervous to invest in New York City right now because they've seen a massive population decrease and uh, they've got uh, lowering of, of rents. They've got lowering of property values. So it would be a pretty sketchy place for me to invest. Even though New York City is a great, great city, it's not where I'd want to invest. Why I love the GTA is not because it's grown so much over the last 20 years. I look at where it is today and, and extrapolate what's going to be happening going forward. And um, I, I use the comparison to if anybody here is a bowler, 
is I may have thrown six strikes in a row, but you know uh, that doesn't that precludes the fact that in my next throw I could throw a gutter ball, and that's kind of what's happening in New York right now. But in the case of Toronto, we're seeing the fastest population growth in all of North America. This is a city and the surrounding areas that's on pace that within 30 years is going to be larger than Los Angeles and become the second largest city in North America. We're seeing, again, more and more resistance for densification. We're seeing massive population growth from other people within Canada or people from outside of the country. And we're seeing a green belt that just continues to grow. So I can predict without, without worry that owning in the GTA is going to continue to appreciate in value. Those that think it's like a Las Vegas game and you're just sort of hoping and betting on black, that's that's incorrect. You become more knowledgeable and you understand what drives the market and what drives it going forward. And then you buy in areas where that's happening. And, and that's absolutely what's happening in the GTA right now. So if somebody were to ask me saying, well, I'm not getting the cash flow that you got 10 years ago. And I said, yeah, but you're going to get the appreciation and here's why. And that's what I tell them. So I guess it's just a matter of changing the way that you look at the investment and what your expectations are from that investment. And do you find that that's a hurdle? Because when we talk to people, it always seems like cash flow is king. Like a lot of the people we talk to, their first thing is like, oh, how many properties do I need to buy so I can quit my job? That seems to be like this very, I don't know if you hear that, but that seems to be this very real thing, right? Where people think that real estate is a mechanism so that they can leave their jobs. And, you know, you're obviously proof of that. And there's so many others who have become full-time investors. However, I think what's, what's key in listening to your story is that you had a career within real estate, which if I'm hearing correctly, sort of is what propelled you to leave your job. It wasn't the real estate investing itself, which created enough income for you to be able to sustain yourself. So I think this is an interesting thing that people constantly talk about. And especially now with the increased prices and the lack of cash flow, you know, it, it, it is a question for people as to how real estate really ties into their long-term plan and wealth and income and all of that stuff tied together, right? So what do you think about that? I mean, what do you tell people? Well, you're, 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 you're absolutely correct that real estate in the greater Toronto area has become a vehicle for wealth building more than cash flow. And I do ask that question much like you. I said, what is the thing you're looking for most? And, and typically people will, will say cash flow because that's what they've been told to tell people. But I say, you know, then I ask the question, I say, well, what's your, what's your nine to five gig right now? And, you know, they'll tell me. And then I say, you know, is that enough money for you to live on or do you need additional funds beyond that? And they said, no, no, I'm making me live, but I'd like to be able to replace it someday. And so one thing I like to share is properties that I purchased as little as five or six years ago. We're not talking about 10 or 50 or a million years ago. Five or six years ago, I was getting rents on my two units combined of about $2,600, $2,800 in rent. And ones I purchased 10 years ago, I was getting about $2,200 in rent for that three-bedroom upper or two-bedroom lower. Now we're renting out the upper three-bedroom and lower two-bedroom apartments and getting between $3,700 and $4,000 in rent. So even though I may not have gotten a ton of cash flow 
when I purchased my property back in the day, as we've seen market or properties turn over and tenants have moved on, the rent numbers have jumped and my cash flow has jumped in kind. So I'm sharing with people that are purchasing in 2021 that by 2025, 2028, based on what we're seeing in trends, it's logical to assume that your cash flow that's $100 today in five years could be $1,000 cash flow for that property. So, so not only are we seeing massive appreciation because we invested in the GTA, but we're going to see appreciation long-term as well and great tenant profile. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, that's a very, very great point. Uh, yeah, so you're, you're predicting that rents will continue to increase because we have so much demand and, you know, basically uh, the buyers are getting priced out. So there's going to be more and more renters coming into the market as time goes on. So, you know, as an investor, you're protected as long as you have strong rental demand, you know, you can't go wrong. Well, I'll share one other thing with you, Jose, that we're, you know, that we're seeing on the front lines is that um, a number of investors who purchased properties in the last five years have actually been selling their properties with the massive appreciation we've seen in the last couple of years. And many of the buyers who are buying these properties are not investors, but they're looking to move into it themselves, either on their own with a family member where they're living in the two levels combined of a two unit dwelling, or they're doing what's called house hacking, where a first time buyer is living in one unit and renting out the other. But the net result of all of that is we're seeing simply less rental units available in the greater Toronto area. So at at the time when we're seeing a population jump, and by the way, Oshawa, which is the market I know so well, is actually the fastest growing city in all of Canada right now. Uh, So we're seeing a population jump. We're seeing the total number of rentals decrease. We're seeing uh, labor, land, and material costs surge. So we can't build to match up with the supply and demand or to match the the supply with demand. So the net result is is that undoubtedly we're going to see a mass increase in rents I actually can tell you that in hotels and motels across the Durham region and across the GTA, there are people that were former tenants that were evicted by their landlords because legally they wanted to sell their property and the new buyer was moving, uh, wanted to move in or they wanted to move in themselves. So they were, they're essentially homeless right now and they're living in a hotel and almost every hotel in the Durham region is filled up right now with former tenants that are looking for a place to rent. We have what I call negative vacancy right now. That's not going away anytime soon. Yeah, that actually, yeah, yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned that because <laughs> we have also experienced the same thing when we're renting in Hamilton or in, in, in Oshawa. It's the same situation. Yeah, uh, lots of people telling us the same thing. And we, sometimes, you know, you know, you're skeptical landlord. You're like, is this for real? But every single guy who walks through the door is like, my, my landlord sold their house. I need a place in two weeks. My landlord's selling their house. I need a place right away. I can't find a place. I've been bid out on like 15 properties. They all say that to us. And, you know, as skeptical as we are, we're like, really? Like, you know, but, oh, yeah. you know, it, it does seem to be a recurring story. What it, it And, you know, it, and my wife is much like yourself <laughs> and, and her spidey senses start tingling and start thinking, okay, why did the landlord really want this person yeah, out? Yeah. You know, I don't want to inherit that person's problem. But no, in the I could tell you in the front lines, 
that is happening. And you have to also understand that a lot of the single family homes that have been used as rentals were not necessarily uh, the buyers who bought these properties back in 2015 to 2017. They purchased them with the idea of flipping them. But what happened in 17, 18 is the market declined Mm -hmm. and a lot of these single family homes weren't they weren't getting the value they wanted out of them so as a result they decided to rent them out not because they wanted to be landlords but because they you know they had this investment they didn't want to lose money well sure enough by 2020 2021 the value surged and they thought okay here's my chance let me get out of this investment make some money and so on the poor tenants have been you know paying their rent diligently and such like that and then they get a notice from their landlord that, you know, we're putting the house on the market. And, oh, by the way, uh, the buyer is going to want to move in. So two months after that, you're going to have to leave. And that's been happening all over the GTA, all over the GTA. You're right. And uh, so am I bullish that rents are going to go up? Again, do the math. It's like unless some builder can magically make thousands and thousands of rental units um, without any government bureaucracy, without any neighbors complaining that you can't do it in my backyard, we're just simply not matching the supply of, uh, of rentals with the demand. And so us as smart investors, you know, we see the problem and we say, huh, if everybody wants this widget, wouldn't it be a good idea to own some of those widgets and you know, just ride the wave? <laughs> and that's kind of what I'm doing. Yeah, no, that's a good way of thinking of it. So I just, I want to kind of go back to this. Oh, so the title of your book is Armchair Investor. Armchair Real Estate Millionaire. Armchair, millionaire. Armchair, armchair Real Estate Millionaire. Excuse me. I'm so sorry. But the word armchair, right? Like that sticks out to me. Like you want something that is sort of passive in nature or you're, you're, you're advocating for a lifestyle, right? Using real estate. Tell me about management and what your thoughts are on self-management, property management, how you manage your real estate and how that all ties into your success? I do have property managers and I believe in property managers. And if you really want to be as passive as you can be, hiring a PM that can do the day-to-day work is is totally fine. Obviously, that's going to eat into your, to your cash flow even more, uh, but I'm certainly not opposed to it. The only caveat I give you is that that PM, regardless of where they are, they need to understand what you're looking for in a tenant profile. Uh, it's not the low-hanging fruit. We're not getting that low credit score, poor income person. We're looking for someone who's simply better than that. I like to have a PM that actually owns real estate themselves and isn't just simply doing it as a part-time gig or what have you, but actually, um, you know, they're, they are real estate investors themselves. So that's, I, I say that without hesitation is that if you can find a good PM and you don't want to do the task, then, um, then that's totally fine. However, if you, if you do read the book and, and, uh, I could tell you that I wrote it in a way because I'm, I'm not the type of guy that like, you know, it's funny how we all have these guys in our social media where, they read a book every other day and they're sort of telling all these stories about it. And you just want to throw rice at them or something. So you want to ping them off with something and just, <laughs> you, you know, you know it's, it's one of these things you say, Oh, that's nice. And you just, it pisses you off. 
I'm not a long, I, I don't read a lot of books and you know, I've read enough obviously, but I, it, I wrote the book. So it's fun. I throw in cartoons and caricatures and humor and examples and, and anybody who's ever been on an investor tour with me, it's it's an extension of my investor tours that I used to do where I would teach people. And, and I'm a very animated individual. I, I, I like to sort of give examples and references. And some of them you're going to get. Some of them you're just going to look at me strangely. I don't know. But I, I do that. And so I wrote the book. And I'm telling people, you can do this on your own. And, and if you buy the right type of property in the right type of neighborhood, Honestly, one, two hours a month, a lot of times is what you're spending on this property. Yeah, it's a part-time gig. I, I call it a side hustle, but this is a side hustle that will make you a millionaire. And, you know, we're not talking about making, uh, uh, making scrunchies on the side or driving Uber Eats. We're talking about something that can really make a significant difference in your life. And I, I really think you can do this on your own. And, and we even have a chapter that talks about the tasks that one needs to do on a part-time basis. And some of these things are annual. Some of them are monthly. Some of them are rare, but they need to be done. But this is doable. This is very doable. Yeah, for sure. And by the way, for those that uh, don't know, Michael helped us buy our first rental property when we entered in the Oshawa market. And, um, and our first duplex conversion. And our first duplex conversion. Yeah. So Michael is a great guy. He, he Took me out for lunch and um, drove you around drove, in his convertible. Me. I heard exactly. about that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. So, you know, that, that was a memorable experience, I must say, which I still remember after, I don't know, how eight years or so. Yeah. And we still have that house, by the way. And, and I'm curious, um, you know, again, I, I don't know how much you want to share, but um, how much did you put into the house in this investment? Can you share that? or? Yeah, I. It's we, super we exciting. Bought the, we bought the property for two ninety five, but you didn't pay two ninety five. You put down how much? Yeah, twenty oh, percent. Yeah, twenty percent. Right? So, which is sixty k. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, and then you had to put a renovation. Yeah, I believe I spent about seventy thousand in renovations. So let's let's say you're into it for a buck thirty. Yeah. Okay, that was your that was your investment, and if you were to sell it today, it's worth X. How much? You probably know better, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming at least around 800. I think you're low. Um, probably closer to, maybe closer to nine, but anyway, let's even say 850. Let's cut the difference. And so you paid how much again? What was it? 300, yeah. 300. So it's raised up 550. So your 130 investment, not even counting about cash flow, mortgage pay down, but just the appreciation alone of 550 from a 130 investment that would be give or take around a 400% ROI. Yeah. Yeah, probably more than that. And that's in 8 years. And and yeah, we've we <laughs> refinanced that property twice. We could probably do it one more time, but we're we don't need to anymore. Yeah, and honestly, with all due respect, it's a pretty ugly house. I mean, it's got like yellow siding. Um, oh, I don't know that. There's a park across the street. Yeah, that there is cute. a park across the street. You're absolutely right. But no, I mean, it is beautifully. It was it was nicely renovated. We have good long-term tenants in there. Um, you know, it's it served us more than well. And you're right. Like, uh, exactly. Know, no, un unbelievable return. Right? And, and I'm glad you, you brought that up as an example because just imagine 
three of those and that's yeah. that's instantly there's your million dollars hundred percent and that's less than a decade yeah yeah, I, I, I call it in the book, I call it the Triple Crown Club, is, you know, buying three properties in quality property, quality properties in quality neighborhoods, allowing you to get quality tenants, and you'll get quality profits. And uh, three of those properties with 10 years with a 4% appreciation, which we've seen a lot more than that, just the straight math, and we talked about this in the book, again, I'm a numbers guy. You have a net worth over a million dollars. You know, you pull out the uh, Austin Powers uh, Dr. Evil look and talk about a million dollars. And <laughs> if you're not a millionaire and you're listening to this podcast, you know, I'm just telling you, it's it's doable. It's and, it, and, and just out of curiosity, uh, guys, how many hours a month just for that property alone do you typically spend on it? Yeah, sometimes like nothing. Sometimes yeah. a couple hours a month, right? If there's a service call or something. But generally at this point, you know, it's pretty it's pretty smooth I would sailing. Say on a on a yearly basis, it's probably like ten hours. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Aside yeah. So from, an hour hour a month. Yeah, aside from vacancies or turnarounds, like that's the biggest thing, right? And if you did three of them, let's say, three quality properties. Yeah. Yeah. You know, let's even say it's five hours a month, like an hour a week. And that's the kind of talk we're talking about here. So anybody who tells me Oh, sorry, I don't have time for this. You know, my, you know, especially I'm getting a little older now. So in the past, I was more delicate. But now I say, well, I guess building wealth isn't important for you right now. And, uh, and, you know, I, I just tell, you know, I tell them straight out. I said, this is this, if you do this correctly, I'm 55 now. Had I not done this at 65, I'd be worried about how I'm going to retire. Because I've done this, I'm 55 and I have all the security I ever needed and I can do everything I want to do. So yeah, this was a pain in the ass. You know, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, Oh goody, I get to be a landlord. It's not necessarily that, you know, it's not, some people will say they're passionate about it, but you know, the idea of every once in a while, I've got to go to a tenant's place and clean up some dog crap in their backyard because they've moved out or, or deal with some, something annoying. You know, there are some times where it, Maybe there is a leak and you're dealing with that. Like there's some things that really make your day not a good one. But for the pain in the neck, it's a millionaire maker. Yeah. You know, that that's that just puts everything in perspective because ultimately it's about the time you spend, right? Everybody, you know, every landlord is gonna go through those uh bad days where you you know you get a leak or you get a flood or you you know you have you, bad, you're tenants. Gonna, bad tenants yeah. you're going to go through evictions but ultimately if you look at it from a long-term perspective you're you're only spending like 10 15 hours the entire year on that one property right so in you know i guess nobody should have an excuse not to do it if this you know and you know in a really bad scenario there there have been times that that we've had bigger issues and foundational issues, and it's it's now a fifty or a hundred hours for that year, which is bad. And honestly, we're a really bad tenant. But honestly, Jose, I you know being a longtime realtor, uh, and I, I invite a lot of my clients out for client parties and such like that. And one of the f- favorite hobbies that these investors do is they try to out top themselves for the stupid things that tenants have done in in the past or challenges that they've had with their property. And it's a game that they play is that they all share their worst stories. 
And I could, I could battle with the best of them. I've got some pretty bad ones myself, but then Lisa, my wife will often ask, you know, halfway through the conversation said, you know, we're looking for listings right now. Anyone looking to sell their property? And the room goes quiet at that point because nobody really wants to sell. We just love sharing the bad stuff. So I guarantee you, if you've never purchased a property and you've talked to Uncle Larry, who, you know, has a friend who's purchased a property in the past and had a bad experience, you know, don't be listening to Uncle Larry. Listen to the people that are longtime investors and have built a lot of wealth. Listen to guys like Jose that's actually doing it. And you're going to make a huge difference in your life. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) So I know you have your investments. Uh, Are you diversified? Is there other things that you do? Uh, in terms of, you know, income, wealth, whatever it is? Yeah. I've always believed in, like, because my nine-to-five gig was as a realtor and most of my wealth was in real estate, I also wanted, I I did want to diversify to some degree. And so I've got, um, uh, I've got a pretty good sum of money in equities and I do active uh, uh, value investing and, and option trading. So that's sort of a fun uh, part-time gig for me. And I'm actually educating myself on that to become even more knowledgeable in that aspect. I do private mortgages. Uh, It's funny. I can't qualify for a mortgage with a big five bank anymore because I'm no longer worthy of them because I own too many properties. But yet I'm loaning out money to other people, which is kind of an ironic twist. Uh, So I I generate about $6,000 a month from um, in my RSPs through private mortgages. And I I would invest, actually, let's use your James Street property as an example. I don't necessarily invest in people as you're doing their renovations. I'll take a look at a property like a James Street and say, okay, uh, guys, you want to use that money to do three or 10 projects? Fine and dandy. I'll load against your, your tried and true duplex in an area that I know loan up to 80 or even 85% loan to value uh, at a reasonable 9 to 10% interest rate uh, as a second mortgage. And I've got the security of a dynamite investment property that's already cash flowing and is very well established. And you get the advantage of having the money and not have to be searching for it on a regular basis. So if you're an active investor, it's a win-win situation. Obviously, if you're just building, you don't need to be dealing with private mortgages to get your funds. Just it's just a way of getting going uh, if you want to keep growing. And uh, so I do that. And I've got a few other little ventures too. I've, I've sold a business recently and I've got some money coming there. So the goal is to have multiple streams of income and generate that, you know, that financial freedom number. For Lisa and I, it was $15,000 a month in revenue. And once we hit that number, that was a consistent number coming in. We were at our financial freedom. And it feels really weird. I have to tell you, it's uh, we've been working for so many years trying to get ahead, trying to get that next job, trying to get that next promotion. And all of a sudden you say, holy crap, we're there. It's weird. Yeah. So what do you see for yourself? You know, I know that there's all these, you know, when you, when you talk to other investors, it's like, what, what, what's your goal? Like, what are you doing in five years? What are you doing in 10 years? I mean, it doesn't have to be real estate related, but you know, what, what is, what does the future look like? What do you see in two years or in five years for yourself? What, what, what do you want to be doing? You know, it's, you're, you're actually hitting me at a really funny time because I've actually, I've, I've been really focusing on my own personal self growth right now. And so, uh, I sort of shared this beforehand, 
But um, the, the, the reality is, is that I had some incredible mentors in my early days that, that led me down the path that got me to where I am today. And these were guys like Patrick Franzi and uh, Don Campbell with Rain, uh, Quinton D'Souza with Durham REI. And, and there's, you know, the list is so large. And all of these people that, that guided me along the path. And I always sort of thought to myself, I said, you know, I really don't know why these guys are even doing this. They don't need to do this anymore. Uh, but they were doing it. They were giving me that hand up that, you know, that I really needed when I needed it most. And so that's really where I see myself going forward is being a, uh, a coach and a, and a, a guide for others as they're moving forward. I think the book is going a long way with that. It really, I'm really proud of it. I don't know how many books I'm going to end up selling. I'm certainly not going to get wealthy off of that sucker. Let me tell you, uh, I make a whopping $6 a book. So, you know, I'm not going to, not going to be retiring to Tahiti on the sale of the books, but I'm here to guide others along the path and get them growing forward. And from a personal growth standpoint, honestly, I, I, I don't know where that's going to go. I really don't. And, uh, uh, I do know I want to travel a lot more. I have traveled a lot already, but you know, if they they let us out of this country somehow, um, then I'm going to uh, I'm going to try to travel and see as many one of a kind experiences as I can in this world. Awesome. awesome. Yeah, we we try to stay away from the COVID talk, but yeah, definitely once um once we're allowed out, we're we're going to be getting out there. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping to do a road trip this year. That's exciting. I'm taking my Corvette. And driving along Route 66 from Chicago to California. That's my goal in September, October. That sounds like so, so, so much fun. And it's yourself and your wife. And you have you have one son, that's right? Yeah, he's 24. Oh, he's he's an adult. So you're free. Yeah. You're really free. <laughs> well, he, he's 24. I don't know if I'd say he's an adult. But anyway. <laughs> oh, that's, that's so awesome. I mean, you know, speaking to you just uh, – makes a lot of our listeners realize that it's all it takes is triple crown three properties in three in great locations and anybody can do it and i I highly recommend um everybody get the armchair real estate millionaire book yeah Uh, i think i i want a few copies i've i've been i've been a lot of our family has been um like my sister for example she invests in real estate but i feel like there still needs to be some fundamental education for a lot of the people who we meet. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's nice to have that type of a resource that you could just literally, it, that's easy and fun to read. And you're able to say, okay, like just read this and, and then we can talk more. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you, you use the term financial education and I, I talk about that all the time as well is um, 200 years ago, what separated the masses a lot was literacy. A lot of people couldn't read and then others that could read were light years ahead. I believe the 21st century example of that is financial literacy. Uh, Those that have a level of financial literacy today are going to be light years ahead of those that don't. And there are people that are making six-figure incomes that have zero financial literacy. So what you're making doesn't mean, it doesn't matter where where you go. I've got clients of mine that have never made anywhere near $100,000 a year that are now multimillionaires because of the investments they did. They were smart. And um, if anybody's ever read Robert Kiyosaki's incredible book, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, savers are losers. You can't become a multimillionaire saving 
you know, 5% or 10% of your salary and just putting it away, making 1% interest. It's just, it's just not going to happen. Um, you have to find ways of leveraging your money and to be able to invest in good investment strategies and, uh, and then, and then have those investments keep growing and then invest on from there. And we talk about that a lot in the book. And, uh, and I really do recommend you pick it up. And, and if I can share one thing with anyone who's listening, if you're a realtor and you're listening, or if you're an investor, my offer to anyone is if you do buy 10 books of my book, and I'd want you to read the whole thing first before you did this. But if you felt it was valuable and you wanted to talk with me, uh, a 10, anyone who buys 10 books, I'll do either a one-on-one, uh, one-hour consultation, and we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. Uh, or um, if you're an investor or, and a realtor and you want to send it out to a lot of your clients, I can do a one-hour sort of a coaching thing and a seminar to try to talk about how to get into investing, and we go down that path as well. So those are things that I'm just, again, I have no end agenda. I'm not looking for millions of dollars in coaching fees or anything like that. That's not what I want to do. Uh, I just want to help people. No, that's that's beautiful. Uh, um, I, I yes, uh, I really appreciate uh, Michael your time. And uh, what would you say is that one quote or saying that you live by that has helped you uh, become successful in business? Um. Oh, one thing. Boy, oh boy. Um, I I love Bill Gates's quote that. Uh, people tend to overestimate what they can accomplish in one year, but they tend to underestimate what they can accomplish in 10 years. And, you know, I, I can give you a lot of other quotes. And actually in the book, I, I talk a lot of different quotes along the path. But that's one that, that you know, we kind of talked about today is that anybody who thinks that real estate is a get rich quick scheme, they're fooling themselves. And I, I believe that flippers and and speculators, they come and go. But the ones who build truly long-term sustained wealth are the guys that hold on to their properties for 5, 10, 20 years or even longer. And, you know, and again, I'm seeing it firsthand. These properties are surging in value in the last 24 months. Uh, I might have had three years where they saw minimal growth, but then I got the big run. And there's going to be another big run. I don't know if it's going to be in two years or 10 years, but there's going to be another big run. But if you own real estate, you can ride that wave. And we're seeing a surge in rental values that I don't see going away as well. So that would be my advice. Is that a good one? Yeah, yeah. definitely a good one. Yeah, yeah for sure. It, it, that long-term perspective is just, I think that that has been a key message that people need to listen and to hear is that it, it's not, it, real estate is a long-term vision, a long-term investment. And like you said, understanding the fundamentals, investing in key areas, that those are all really, really important. Yeah. And, and financial education, like you said, is way more important than, you know, being a high income uh, earner. Being, being, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So for those listeners what's, what's, who, what's happening, yeah. especially now with inflation and all that, it's, it's certainly, you know, financial education is extremely important now if you know what to do with your money. 100% agree. It's there's, and there's so many other tips and tricks along the path that, and if I can give anyone advice along the way is, you know, obviously those that are listening to this podcast are already part of the converted because they're taking action and trying to make a difference in their lives. Uh, but uh, when, 
when we can actually see real people again, other than, you know, through podcasts and Zoom calls. But, you know, when you actually shake hands and maybe hug somebody again and not be basically, you know, banished for doing so. <laughs> going to investment groups and meeting people and hanging around. Uh, you are, it, it's another famous quote is you're, you're usually the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And, and I've got some great long-term friends that I've known forever at high school and beyond that are longtime friends of mine. But it was by hanging around and networking with other people that made a real difference. I share this in my book where one time I purchased three properties in one year and uh, all my friends were saying, what are you buying another one? That's so risky. What are you doing? And, you know, they were sort of thinking I was just going crazy by buying three properties in a year. You go to an investment club and they all start applauding you and stuff like <laughs> that. And and then and then the next sentence is, so when's the next one? And so it's just a different mindset. And hanging around with people that have the right mindset will make all the difference in the world as well. So that's you know, more the more good stuff you get, the better you're gonna be. Yeah. And, and honestly, just from talking to you, Michael, you're, you're such a positive guy and it just, uh, reiterates the whole, you know, this is like any business, it starts with yourself and all that stuff you said about continuing to do self-development and working on yourself, working on your, your mindset. Uh, you're so positive. I think that all of those things are so integral to your success. Thank you. When, uh, if, if you ever want to have a conversation talking about first-time buyers with house hacking that's a conversation for another day you, you know if you're if you're desperate and you're looking for another person to speak again you can reach out <laughs> to me anytime yeah no for sure well you know we just want to thank you thank you so much for your ab- time absolute pleasure yeah it's been a really fun interview we really enjoyed it so much thank you uh so yeah um we'll put in our show notes um maybe you can just uh quickly tell our listeners if they do want to get in touch is there a preferred method do you have a website or an email that or or any kind of uh, social media handles that people can use to contact you Sure well the website that has the book is is called armchairrealestatemillionaire.com and from there you can actually reach out to me at info at armchairrealestatemillionaire uh and you can um uh, you can reach out and say hi, and if you have any questions, that would be that'd be the place to do it. Uh, but go on the website; I think you'll find some value in that as well. And can people purchase your book off the website too? You can, or you know, honestly, it's available on Amazon. Um, I'm proud to say, at least as of now, I don't know when this is going to get produced, but um, my goal was for it to actually have a little bit of traction in Amazon, and and it's been on Amazon.ca has been steadily, steadily, steadily in the top 20 for wealth books in Canada, which I'm pretty proud to say that's the case. And, uh, you know, it's funny, you you look at a lot of these historic wealth books, you say, wow, how can you compete with those guys? And then you start looking at a lot of these authors and they, they weren't anything special when they wrote that book either. So, you know, it's, this book is, it's something I can be proud of. It's a, it's a bit of a legacy play for me. Uh, I'm certainly not going to get rich off it, but I really hope I can make some differences in some life. One of my dreams is that somebody somebody buys the book in an area I've never been to, somebody I never met. They read it and take take the lessons from there and start taking action. And that's the story I want to hear. So I think it's an action taker book. It, it's a call to action is what it's going to be. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so, so, so nice and so motivating for us to hear because... Um, you know, I think as time goes on, maybe that's going to be some of our purpose too, uh, to try to help others and give back as well. So cool. So thank you for that. And thank you for sharing your story with us. Yep.
And thank uh, you so much for your time. And uh, we'll definitely share your contact information and all that. Book, yeah, go pick up the book, everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If you liked this episode, please write a review and share it with us. We are getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase how investors at any level can start using and leverage real estate to become savvy wealth builders. If you want to learn more about how we can potentially help you create more passive income and build your wealth faster, go to www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. Once again, it's www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.